Cider sources may not be suitable for some listeners. The show contains strong language, mature content, and graphic details. Listener discretion is advised. just sitting here trying to emulate the law and order svu sound because apparently it's trademarked so dropping your phone (laughs) makes that sound dad i don't i don't think we're yeah it was really only the phone like like you said it's it's one of the greatest sounds in uh cinematic history it is (laughs) uh do i start over um yeah i think we're good to go Okay. Boop. Hello, and... (laughs) Take two. Hello, and welcome to the Cite Your Sources podcast, a show for those who enjoy mostly coherent conversations discussing the details behind true crime, strange happenings, the paranormal, conspiracy theories, and all of the weird, offbeat topics that haunt your mind when you're alone. I'm your host, Charlie. And I am your host, Shelby. Um, I think it's pretty ironic. So if you listen to last week's episode, you know that we're talking about Richard Kuklinski, a.k.a. the Iceman. And we are currently recording in Charlie's apartment, where it is approximately 44 degrees. (laughs) We have cups of hot tea that are producing enough steam to fog up the entire apartment. (laughs) So we, too, are going to become... Ice men and ice women by the end of this. There's a blanket. You can put a blanket on your lap if you're cold. No, no, no. Like, I'm, I'm good. My fingers are a little bit cold. My toes are That's a little bit cold. That's what the mug of tea is for. The Duh. mug of tea is for drinking. Right, and but you can hold I, on to it. I don't appreciate that you gave me the emo as fuck one. <laughs> it's, it's the South Park emo kids that life is only pain. That's a great mug. It is a great mug. I took a Snapchat and sent it to a friend of mine. I'm too cheery for this mug. <laughs> okay, ASMR for you. So, picking up from where we left off with last episode, we have a young Richard Kuklinski who had just finished kidnapping a used car dealer, took him to the woods, and then beat him mercilessly before finally cutting off the man's head to bring back to his boss, Carmine Genovese. In this week's episode, we'll be covering a few more incidents involving Richard's murderous tendencies before meeting the woman that he would eventually woo and coax through a flurry of threats into becoming his second wife, Barbara Pedrisi. After meeting Barbara, uh, working at the Swiftline Trucking Company, Richard became enamored by her and would continue to pester her until she finally agreed to a date and then eventually married him. Her choice was most certainly influenced by the multiple threats that Richard had made over the course of their quote-unquote relationship, and she reluctantly agreed only as a means to protect her family from harm. I would just like to say that I really hate when you say quote-unquote. That is me cracking my knuckles of disapproval. (laughs) I'm just saying that you say it a lot, and I don't like it. All right, I'll try to put emphasis on, on the words instead of saying quote unquote. Yeah, just italicize it. 
I just right. italicized myself. <laughs> so just a friendly reminder <laughs> that everything in this series should be taken with a grain of salt. We will be releasing an interlude episode before our final chapter in this series that depicts some conflicting information among Carlo's and Bruno's books, as well as some additional sources. Actually, really quick uh, correction, because I forgot to fix that. Um, it's not going to be an interlude episode. It's going to be a follow-up episode after the series. Okay. Yeah. So, sorry. Continue. Before I was rudely interrupted. Um, I said sorry. Oh, yeah. Where's my participation trophy? <laughs> Okay, boomer. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, so going back to what I was saying, you know, there is no doubt that Richard Kuklinski is a monster of a human being, uh, but many aspects of his life may have been uh, glamorized, uh, fictitious, or downright made up. So without further ado, I believe Shelby has a brief message about the episode, and then we'll kick things off. Yes, and you're more than welcome to interrupt me if you see fit. Um, per the usual, listener discretion is advised. There has been some graphic content throughout this series and this episode, like the prior is no different. The information from this episode comes from Philip Carlo's book, and as Charlie mentioned, the follow-up episode will be done, and it will involve both Philip Carlo's and Anthony Bruno's books, in addition to a third source that hopefully sets some details straight. Uh, it'll also be more of like a general discussion to kind of sort out the timeline before wrapping up, um, before closing the book on uh, everything regarding Richard Kuklinski. So sit back, relax, roll a fat ass baby's arm size blunt, or pour some whiskey and light up a cigar if that's your thing. And let's continue this expose on Richard Kuklinski, the Iceman. So catching up, uh, you know, on the timeline, Richard had just killed a used car salesman, cut his head off, and brought it back to Carmine Genovese as his proof of job completion. Assuring Carmine that the mark had suffered good, Richard received $10,000 in payment for his work. Quote, unquote. <laughs> That's why I said, suffered good. <laughs> See, that's Put how you italicize things. <laughs> good. All right. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Where's Jim Carrey when you need him? Oh, God. Having finally proven himself to Carmine and him taking a shine to Richard for his devotion and no-nonsense, no-questions approach, Carmine decided to employ Richard as his chief collector and enforcer. Carmine would have even had Richard inducted into the family, vouching as Richard's sponsor, but sadly Richard never could because he wasn't Italian. That's I, when you need the law and order sound. Yeah. <laughs> that just sounds funny to say sadly. <laughs> Regardless of that unfortunate circumstance uh, on Richard's behalf, Carmine still gave the guy plenty of work. Richard was reliable, honest, and violent when necessary. Albeit he was occasionally too violent, but he got the job done, plain and simple. He never ripped Carmine off not even taking a single dime extra from Carmine, which only made him grow fonder of Richard over time. It's also worth mentioning that Richard was pretty well known in the criminal underworld, and not paying Carmine any debts owed to him could prove fatal. And 
Yeah, so any money that Richard uh, did make from his work uh, for Carmine uh, would obviously get pissed away pretty frivolously because, uh, you know, Richard has a gambling problem and money literally burns holes in his pockets. Constantly had to buy new pants. What a shame. <laughs> so, <laughs> my brain cells are literally freezing. There is a blanket so, on the couch. It's fine. It's huge. It's fine. Put it on your lap. I can't put a blanket over my face because then I can't read. Oh. <laughs> so anyways, Richard would go on to earn the name, uh, the nickname, The Pollock, and nobody dared fuck with The Pollock. Uh, even other mob guys would steer clear of Richard because they knew of his hairpin-triggered anger issues and uh, his quick-to-kill uh, modus operandi, or M.O. Uh, given his experience working for Carmine, Richard carried two over-and-under 38 Derringers because they were pretty easy to conceal and highly lethal at close, uh, close range. And on top of that, he also carried a knife with him. Um, to kill someone with the Derringer, you had to be right up on them, and that's why he also carried a knife, because he kind of enjoyed killing that, killing with that as well. In his words, it's intimate. You can feel the blade going in, the bones breaking, see the shock on the guy's face, watch his lights go out. He said that with a smile on his face, which, like, Jesus Christ. Hey, he enjoyed <clears throat> his work. I, yeah, I, yeah, that's, okay. You, you found what you loved, and you did it. Good job, buddy. <laughs> um, Richard was also asked if he believed in God, to which he responded, the only God I believe in is a loaded pistol with a hair trigger. Funny how before I killed a lot of guys, they'd call me God. So I don't know if this is like a little bit of narcissism spilling out, but Richard is referring to himself as God now. <laughs> Because his marks would regularly say, oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. And Richard took that as them calling him God. Fuck it. I wonder if that's what he thought about his wife in bed. (sighs) I mean, from my understanding, he was just raping her most of the time. God. (laughs) Yeah, no, there, there was some consensual sex, but, you know, he was... He just towered over and forced himself on her most of the time from when I was reading. And he beat his wife. (laughs) Yeah, and let's not forget, he beat his wife almost every day. (laughs) But don't forget, he beat his wife. Don't forget. His wife talked back, but he beat his wife. (laughs) (laughs) No one's going to get that reference at all. Well, like, I bring that up because, like, reading through Philip Carlo's book... He says the same shit like 19 fucking times. Yeah. Every chapter, almost every chapter, has at least a line, Richard beat his wife almost daily. (laughs) Dude, we get it. We get it. Shut up already. Um, Oh, and does everyone remember in the last episode when I said that Richard and Linda went on to get married because Linda had gotten pregnant? Yeah. Yeah. So here's where the uh, warm body on the bed or in the bed on cold Jersey nights would bear its fruits. Uh, Linda uh, ended up giving birth to a boy that they also named Richard. Um, I I did try to find a birth date on him, but I'm assuming the boy may have taken Linda's last name. I couldn't find like any information on her at all. 
Yeah, and Carlo doesn't list any last name in his book. Yeah. Like, as far as all we know about Linda is when she and Richard met, he was 16 and she was 25 and she took a liking to him. Statutory rapist. You know what, though? I would assume, though, since they did get married legally in the court, this is still at a time when women almost always took their husbands' last names. Oh, yeah. Like, no argument. I I mean, fuck, this was back, had to be back in, like, what, the 60s, 70s, maybe? I think it was. Did anybody ever start hyphenating their name before, like, the 90s? I mean, rich people always did weird stuff. But I mean, well, I mean, that's because their name is their brand. No, I know, but I mean, like, outside of, you know, special people, I guess, I'm pretty sure she would have taken his last name. That's possible. I'll see if I can find something real quick while we continue on. So, going back to uh, the baby, Richard. Um, Richard Sr. felt no emotional connection to the child. He simply viewed him as the natural extension of sex. He wasn't even at the hospital for the child's birth, nor did he help Linda in bringing Richard Jr. home. And lo and behold, though, it wasn't long before Linda became pregnant again, and even with a child in the couple's house, she never questioned all the weapons that Richard had. She didn't know what they were for, nor did she have any desire to know because she knew how violent and psychotic he could get. She figured that if she had any questions, he'd explode on her and likely assault her. Funny enough, though, Kuklinski had something of a soft spot for kids, even becoming enraged when he'd see an adult hitting a child. And there was actually one instance where Richard beat a man senseless because the man was hitting his own kids in a parking lot, and he would later go on to kill a friend of his because the friend had asked Kuklinski to murder his wife and son. So although Richard was indifferent to the suffering of adults, he did not feel the same about children and would become enraged upon seeing a child harmed. Um, And, you know, throughout all this, Richard was still taking trips to Manhattan's west side, killing anyone that got in his way. And there was one night that he actually came upon two men who were in the middle of raping a young boy behind a semi-truck, and he promptly shot and killed them, actually effectively saving the boy. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Richard officially gets one kudo and one brownie point. Because, like, I don't know if there's other instances, you know, aside from killing his friend for asking Richard to murder his wife and son, uh, where Kuklinski did something good. But I'm going to let him have this one. And I also, I did a quick search on Linda Kuklinski. I did find an obituary in the Chicago Tribune, but it's not the right one. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, I'm not finding anything. I was married to the mafia's most feared. Yeah, this uh, everything I find when I look up Linda Kuklinski is Barbara. To, yeah, it literally it just brings up Barbara. Let me see if. Oh, that was not comfortable. Um, yeah, there's nothing about her. So, anyways, um, yeah, Kuklinski gets a brownie point. He killed a couple pedophile rapists. Well, it, is that redundant? Pedophile rapist? No. No? Okay. No, because a pedophile isn't necessarily a rapist and vice versa. True, true. Um, but yeah, so regardless of my stance on killing people, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and look the other way on this one. Uh, I think at this point it's also safe to say that Richard might just kind of sort of be maybe a little, definitely maybe addicted to murder. Um, it's like a drug. And whenever he got his fix, he would say that he'd feel calm and at peace afterwards. Yeah, 
I can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> so Richard would continue killing people uh, undetected because he changed his MO every time. Um, there's a retired NY, NYPD captain uh, ke- uh, by the name of Ken Rowe who was quoted saying, back then there was no citywide records of homicides being kept. Because he was killing in all different ways, the cops didn't think one guy was doing it. In a sense, they were inadvertently giving him a license to kill. Good job, buddy. (laughs) This is why we have a police state now. (laughs) So getting back on track to Richard being the enforcer for Carmine Genovese, uh, we find him in a time where Carmine gave him arguably one of the most important uh, jobs of uh, Richard's career. He was instructed to collect $70,000 from a man named Anthony DePetty in Chicago. <clears throat> and uh, Carmine warned him that DePetty was slippery like a fucking wet eel. And to not be careful. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> yeah, don't be careful. <laughs> um, and to be careful. Um, you know, because we're, we're going to get into it in, in a minute. But yeah, DePetty was... A, a special kind of slimy. Um, so not in concern to the slightest, he, you know, Richard traveled to Chicago, went straight to a lounge, uh, I guess that they were supposed to meet at, and sat waiting for DePetty. Um, Richard got annoyed um, waiting and uh, was getting ready to call Carmine when finally DePetty revealed himself. Um, I wasn't sure exactly how much time passed before Richard got annoyed, but I'm going to guess a couple hours. Um, so expecting an easy pickup, DePetty handed Richard a black case stating that the entirety of the money wasn't there and that it was only half, so thirty-five grand. Again, Richard was kind of pissed, but DePetty assured him that the other thirty-five uh, would be in Richard's hands in a day or two. So Richard called Carmine, who then spoke with DePetty, and then got back on with Richard and instructed him to stay close to DePetty. So... He dicked Richard around for a few hours, going to bar after bar, saying that people who owed him money would be there soon, and then when nobody showed, uh, he would take Richard on more wild goose chases to other bars. And also, didn't DePetty try to give Richard the slip by having some big burly guy intentionally bump into Richard? Yeah, so after, this was was on the first day, so after about 10 hours, uh, they ended up at a place called uh, the Say Hi Inn. (laughs) Um, I, I, I forgot to look that up and see if it's still in Chicago. But, uh, yeah, so DePetty went to use the phone, and Richard kept a close eye on him. Um, he saw DePetty talking with some guy with a face that was so messed up that refi- uh, Richard referred to him as Gravel Face. So, apparently, Gravel Face, like, purposely shouldered Richard, intent on trying to start a fight so DePetty could slip away. But Richard just wasn't having it. And with a stern look, an obscure threat, and a flash of the Derringer in his hand... Gravel face just walked away. This goose chase um, continued. Kill you, motherfucker. <laughs> I'll cut your dick off. <laughs> Richard knew what DePetty was trying to do, and he confronted him. But DePetty vehemently denied playing any games. And again, nobody showed up with the rest of the money, and DePetty ended up suggesting that they get a room for the night, which Richard agreed to do under the assumption that the remaining money would arrive in the morning. As Richard was dozing off, he was suddenly awakened by some movement because DePetty was, of course, trying to escape. And already making it onto the fire escape, Richard, in two swift movements, was up and grabbed DePetty, yanking him back into the building. He kicked DePetty so hard that he flew across the room. Wee! <laughs> 
And, you know, this was really the last straw. Richard called Carmine, who said to wait just one more day. And if the money didn't show, Richard was to throw DePetty out a window without a fire escape. However, it was the same bullshitting the next day. More bars, a pizza place, then more bars after that. You know, this sounds like a good time, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> you, you get a few drinks, you get some hey, you get some Chicago-style pizza, guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, Deep oh, dish only. Oh, my God. <laughs> so after all this uh, procrastinating and running around, Richard finally got fed up. He took to Petty back to the hotel and, without saying a word, hung him out a window by his feet. And yeah, this, that's what's up. Yeah, this, uh, <laughs> needless to say, terrified to Petty to the point that, you know, the games were over. He took Richard to a kind of like a go-go burlesque place, went into a back room, he opened up a hidden safe, and he retrieved the remaining 35000 Richard asked why DePetty didn't just hand the money over from the start since he clearly had it, to which DePetty replied, I didn't want to pay. <laughs> what, a, what a moron. <laughs> And, you know... Yeah, like, I don't know how big DePetty is, but let's not... Like, Richard, what was he, 6'5"? Six, 6'4". Six, six, yeah. He's a big motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, after DePetty brilliantly says this, Richard immediately sees red. Uh, DePetty offered a woman to Richard, but he declined. Richard counted the money, and without skipping a beat, he pressed the Derringer against DePetty's chest and pulled the trigger. Richard left money in hand, and flew back to Newark. He handed the money to Carmine and informed him of murdering DePetty. And you know what? True to form, Carmine didn't have any qualms with Richard's decision. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fuck that guy. He got his money, so no use to him now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, so uh, the, the only reason Richard didn't get caught um, shooting DePetty right then and there was because of the music. Um, playing in the background, plus the like having it pressed against a petty's chest kind of muffled the gunshot a little bit. Um, and I think one of the strippers that discovered the body was even able to give the police a pretty good description of Richard. But as we said, and as things were back then, no precincts shared any information with anybody else. Even though it was the East Coast and the Midwest, and the murder would end up, you know, eventually going unsolved. Man, maybe a police state isn't that bad. <laughs> like, I can't believe I'm saying that, but... I don't know. Yeah, you know what? More more surveillance. We oh. need a police state. Let's do it. Because maybe, just maybe, we need to stop producing, like, true crime stuff because it's clearly giving these people fucking ideas. And I just developed a new conspiracy theory. So... All the true crime writings are a plot by Alphabet Agency PSYOPs to teach people how to get away with crime, and then when they get away with crimes, the government can step in and say, fuck your rights, we need more safety. Violation of everything. Hashtag Patriot Act. Hashtag everybody's getting spied on. Hashtag we need a police state. Hashtag don't trade your rights. All right, calm down, Shelby. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I actually... I wish you could have seen my eyes light up, like, as I was typing that. <laughs> and that conspiracy just... <laughs> ah. My mind is a fun place. Shelby hasn't taken his meds yet today. Hey, all I take is an asthma preventative, <laughs> and Phil has reassured me that I'm not crazy. 
Although he did try to diagnose me as schizophrenic the other day, and I don't know if I appreciate that. Mm. Like, the, the way that he... It wasn't the fact that he asked the questions, it's the way that he asked them. <laughs> <laughs> like, he already knew the answer. Well, no, because he's like, how often do you see the people that aren't there, Shelby? And I was like... Just making the assumption that you already <laughs> see the people right. that aren't I'm there? Like, like, um, I don't. <laughs> and he's like, but, but how often do you hear the voices that aren't there? And I was like, other than having tinnitus, I don't? Like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> so, PTSD, that's it. Post-traumatic Shelby disorder. <laughs> <laughs> So anyways, uh, now we move on to a run-in that Kuklinski had with a crooked uh, former police captain by the name of Jim O'Brien. And this guy was so fucking crooked that he made a figure eight look straight as a level. Uh, so he worked closely with the DeCavalcante family. Um, so it's to be expected that, you know, he's crooked as fuck. So, you know, go cops. I say sarcastically. Um, but Richard already didn't like him. Because not only was he a cop, but he was a crooked cop. You know, the worst of the worst. But O'Brien had a job for him. So O'Brien needed a case in L.A. picked up and was willing to pay five grand plus expenses. So what did our boy do? This motherfucker flew first class. Oh, you might as well. If, if somebody else is footing the bill. <laughs> Jesus. Probably like destroying my table under. <laughs> no, you're probably destroying your phone. <laughs> That's okay. It's a piece of shit. <laughs> so, anyways, Richard gets to LA, checked into a hotel where he's supposed to meet the guys for the drop off, and then hung out until they rat until they arrived. Till they arrived. Till they yeah. So, uh, I'm pretty sure this is the episode where any possible audience we may have had just hangs it up completely. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> They stick around for the post-traumatic Shelby disorder. (laughs) So it is worth noting uh, that Carlo writes in his book that while flying in first class, quote, uh, Richard looked at the other men in the section, knowing they were all civilians, thinking how surprised they'd be if they knew what he really did, that he regularly killed people and enjoyed doing it. So I'm sorry, surprised? How about fucking terrified? He would be, oh, they would be so surprised if they found out that I was a secret hitman. Like, he says it almost like it might be, uh, you know, a fun moment for them. <laughs> Imagine that. They would be so surprised like, that oh I was out here, like, slashing people left and right. <laughs> oh, my God. Can we get your autograph? Yeah. that's <laughs> how he, fuck? he probably was, like, some type of celebrity in his mind, though. You know he thought he was hot shit. Oh, you can just yeah, tell most, in most his definitely. He's like, yeah, and I used to get away with this. And then I, like, took this guy's eyeballs out. I fucking put him in the and stew. You know, it was great. And I cut this one guy's dick off and, like, fed it to, yeah, like. I don't know why I used an Italian accent. He wasn't Italian. But he was, uh. He was Polish. Yeah. Kuklinski was Polish. No, I know he was Polish, <clears throat> but where the fuck was he from again? Jersey. Oh, so he talked like that anyway. Yeah. He was a Jersey guy. <sighs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, surprise. Fuck, eat my ass. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, don't tempt him because he might. (laughs) Depends on what Carmine asks. (laughs) Oh, God. Thank thank you, Jesus. He's dead. (laughs) Um, So anyways, Richard meets the uh, rat face and ferret face. Um, I I have no idea where those names came from, but that's what Carla wrote in his book. 
Um, and after a bit of a standoff, because nobody could verify that they were the right people, Richard uh, did end up getting the case. And let's not forget that when asked to show some ID just to verify he is who he says he is, Richard pulls out two guns and says, it's called a three fifty-seven, and in this pocket I've got some more ID. It's called a thirty-eight. Badass. That's fucking badass. <laughs> he definitely <laughs> thought he was hot shit, but I don't yeah. even give a shit anymore. I like him. He doesn't fuck around, and I respect it. So, as Shelby said... Richard gets the case, and he makes his way back eastward. However, Richard would become furious shortly after completing the job because he found out after the fact that he had transported a kilo of heroin, and he could have gone to jail. Um, Like several other times, though, he kept his anger internalized and simply started planning for the right to come. Was that a fuck up on my part? No, (laughs) no. And simply started planning for the right time to come where he could jump on the opportunity to shoot O'Brien in the head and get rid of the body near the same location that he got rid of the car dealer. Richard rationalized this by telling himself that it was a crooked cop who had gotten exactly what he deserved, and man, oh man, was Richard elated to be the one to serve it up. He kept this to himself, though. Didn't tell Carmine. Didn't tell anyone. This was a solo vendetta. So, yeah, I mean, he's a killing machine. But also, really quick, I want to add, he was upset about the fact that he could have gone to jail rather than supplying a kilo of heroin to a neighborhood. Why would he give a shit about that? Didn't he hate drugs? Or, oh, wait, no. That's why he was mad, because it was a drug thing. Oh, so I, I, I might have misunderstood. Like, I thought it was just the fact that he could have gone to jail because it was drugs, not the fact that it, like, it was drugs itself. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I don't think he gave a shit about the drugs going into the neighborhood. He was just pissed that oh, that's fine. there was a he, he He didn't like people that did drugs anyway. No. Maybe that was some motivation, too. Could have o- been. O'Brien was shooting up. Um... And I think it was sometime after killing O'Brien, you know, the timeline isn't entirely clear, Um, but Richard would be tasked with an unusual job, even by his measure. He was ordered to kill another mob boss named Arthur DeGilio. So are you you okay with me taking this one? Because it actually kind of relates directly back to what I just said about eat my ass. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. (laughs) So fucking Carmine, this weird son of a bitch. Tells, tells Richard that this particular job is the most important work that he has to give Kuklinski. And then, and then he fucking tells Richard that he needs to take uh, this guy Arthur's credit cards after he kills him and shove the credit cards up, Rich, up Arthur's ass. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, he's fucking Italians, dude. I swear to God. I, he probably would eat someone's ass if Carmine told him to. Yeah, I mean... You know, Richard was taken aback by the request, but Carmine confirmed that's what he wanted. So Richard agreed to sodomize the man with his own credit cards. Uh, Richard was honored and somewhat jubilant to have been given this task. And, uh, you know, he kind of felt as if he were uh, progressing in the world. Yeah. (laughs) Man. (laughs) It's... Uh, how do you how do you get told <coughs> oh i need you to kill this guy and then i need you to shove his credit cards up his ass and your I mean, immediate I I reaction I to that is 
man, I'm really going places. I would have looked to Moving Carmine. on up to the east side, bitch. I would have looked at Carmine and been like, I don't know if it accepts that form of payment. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Like, plus, this was back sometime between, like, the 60s and 70s where a lot of people were homophobic. Um, although, you know what? We're, we're going to go into the details right now. So... Richard would end up plotting this murder for a total of 10 days, uh, planning every single detail down to the smallest minutia, um, being, and he was painstakingly meticulous. It was the hit of a lifetime, and come hell or high water, Richard wasn't going to let it go sideways. Having staked out the mark, learned his habits and patterns, Richard finally decided how and when to take Arthur out. And I'm just going to forewarn everyone, this one is genuinely sad, and I got a little bit upset reading this. So having learned Arthur's routine, Richard knew that his moment to strike was when Arthur was visiting his girlfriend in Montclair because the only person that was with DeGilio uh, was his driver gopher nephew. So DeGilio showed up to his girlfriend's place and Richard was close behind. The nephew parked in a lot to the left of the building. DeGilio got out, went inside, and Richard waited about 15 minutes before making his move. He went up to the nephew, pulled a 22 with a suppressor attached, and shot the kid in the head. Wasn't he against harming, much less murdering children? Or do you think the nephew was, like, of a certain age that he didn't care at that point? I'm assuming he was an adult, especially since um, he was driving. Yeah, that's true. Because, yeah, like, it, it doesn't really add up on its surface. But, and mm. it, like, the, the nephew died instantly before he could even make sense of what was happening. Well, and who knows what Richard's cut off for that you know oh yeah well. that's true because i know like if, if you're 16 you could be considered a man so right so who knows morals are a son of a bitch <laughs> <laughs> after disposing of degilio's nephew richard walked uh back to his car pulled up near degilio's opened his trunk and began to change his tire he intentionally moved slowly making sure to take his time while also not drawing any attention to himself from any or for any onlookers, it was just a guy changing a flat. DeGilio eventually came out of the apartment, not noticing anything peculiar, like a person changing a flat, and made his way back to his car. Upon seeing his nephew, he became irate because he thought the kid had fallen asleep. Richard made his move and swiftly got over to DeGilio, twenty-two in hand, stopping him from going anywhere. DeGilio proceeded to make threats along the lines of, "You know who the fuck I am." And all Richard said in response was, yeah, you're the guy that's coming with me. Badass. Having pressed the twenty-two against Degilio's stomach, Richard threw Degilio in the trunk after knocking him out cold, taped his mouth, and drove off. So, <clears throat> Richard drove to an area uh, by the water in Jersey City that was pretty desolate. Uh, he pulled Degilio out of the trunk, grabbed a bat, and went on to mercilessly beat his legs, breaking bones with each strike while telling him... Uh, that this was all happening because DeGilio had been stealing from his boss. And after the beating, uh, actually, wait a minute. I wonder if this is kind of like the Mooney ceremony we talked about in episode one <laughs> on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Something tells me this one's a little bit more intense. Oh, yeah. Not, obviously, DeGilio doesn't get a turn, but. <laughs> <laughs> so, getting back on track, uh, Richard puts on some rubber gloves, grabbed DeGilio's wallet took out his credit cards, and flat out told the guy that he was instructed to shove him up his anus. Uh, 
<laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, the butt don't take that poor my payment. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what's that episode of Family? Quagmire tries to like swipe a credit card. <laughs> <laughs> so. Sigilio, in full panic mode, obviously tries to negotiate, but it would fall on deaf ears. Uh, Kuklinski, I can't say his name, Kuklinski struck him square on the head, smashing his skull. He then ripped Agilio's pants down and proceeded to shove the credit cards up his ass. Uh, he wrapped the body in a tarp, <coughs> took it to, how do you, Bayonne? Bayonne? How do you think? Bayonne? I don't know. Bayoni. It looks French, and, so it probably sounds nothing like how it's spelled. Yeah. <laughs> they, he took it to the B place and left it in an empty lot for the world to see. Richard went back to Carmine, who would soon hear of the news himself, and told him that the job was done. Richard had now gained an even bigger reputation and went on to take jobs from various mafia families across Jersey and New York. He was a Giovanni Dianor. Sure. Okay, Something. sorry. Yeah, an independent contractor. I know you like fancy words, so I tried to. (laughs) (laughs) An independent contractor, and the only reason he was able to pull this off is because he'd never been made. As was his MO, he carefully planned each hit and followed all instructions to the letter. Richard explained, if they wanted a guy tortured, I did that. If they wanted a mark to disappear, I did that. I got to really enjoy the planning and the hunt. It was kind of like a science. So he's like the Verizon guy of the criminal underworld. Oh, right. right. Can, you, can you hit him now? <laughs> Got it. Can you torture him now? Got it. Can you cut his dick off now? Got it. Got Shove it. credit cards up his ass? Got, Got it. it. <laughs> <laughs> so Richard's making money hand over foot, and he's still pissing everything away on gambling. Like, come on, dude. You could have been a ma- like an actual made man by now. Cause, like, that's a hell of a lot of money. I mean, shit, $10,000 for the car salesman, five grand from O'Brien for the heroin run, and depending on how close the jobs were time-wise, that's 15 grand. Back in, like, the late 50s, early 60s, that's mm-hmm. a lot of fucking money. Yeah. Um, but to kind of close the loop, and I think this catches everything up with the timeline from last episode and getting into, like, the meat of this one. Um, remember Linda got pregnant? A while back, well, she had her second kid. He knocked her up again. Good job, buddy. <laughs> Forcing yourself on women. God. Maybe I will just put that sound effect in. Just, <laughs> just fuck it. <clears throat> um, but yeah, so Linda has a second kid. He's named David. Richard couldn't be any more indifferent about it. Um, not to mention his relationship with Linda was becoming more and more strained with each passing day. And I'm going to go ahead and say thank God that they kind of stopped with the intimate activities. Because no more murder babies. Woo! Woo! <laughs> uh, and even though the relationship was strained and he viewed his children as not even being his, he did still view Linda and the boys as his property. And this would prove, I guess, beneficial to the family. Because where they were living, I guess, the super kept making passes at Linda and even slapped the boys, uh, both boys, on one occasion for acting up. So Linda would keep quiet about the overtures, knowing that uh, Richard would likely end up killing the super. Hold up. So he just ran around and he, like, slapped some other dude's kids? Um, yeah, I, I guess, like, the, the boys were playing too loud in the hallway or something. Mm. And he, like, told them to quiet down. The boys like, fuck you! Don't tell us what to do, old man. It was like... <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, like, Linda was okay with being sexually harassed and all that, but nobody touches Mama Bear's chirin. She told Richard... Chirin. <laughs> chirin. She, so she told Richard, and oh, was he fucking pissed. So she, uh, he was at a bar when he got the news. Um, he ended up leaving and immediately went searching for the super, obviously with murderous intent on his mind. Um, he found him, uh, and confronting the super, Richard said, what right you got hitting my kids? The super started to respond. They wouldn't shut up. Before he could even finish, Richard punched him so hard in the face that the super flew across the room. After beating the guy to a bloody pulp, the bartender, who also happened to be a moonlight cop, ended up intervening. Of course, it was after the fact. Fucking coward. Um... But he, like, he did try to stop Richard. And how did Richard respond? With a roundhouse kick to the bartender cop's face, knocking him out cold. <laughs> I'm not even going to say I'm like, remotely upset about that. I'm sure it goes without saying that Richard, is likely, uh, that Richard likely would have killed the super, but there were far too many witnesses. And fuck that cop. You waited <laughs> until after the ass whooping to step in and be like, please, put your hands up. Like, <clears throat> Maybe Fuck he didn't you, like the guy getting beat up, though. Oh, that's true. He might have been like, yeah, this guy needs to take one for the team, yeah, but I'll stop it before he actually dies. That's fair. Yeah, fuck that guy. I'm just going to assume this super was an asshole. <clears throat> I mean, I feel like most are, at least from what I've heard. Yeah. I can't wait to be a slumlord one day. <laughs> <laughs> Become Tony Fresco. Um, I feel like I should know that name. You do know that name. He was the slumlord that everybody was connecting to Obama back when Obama was first running for president. He's a Chicago slumlord, Tony Resco. We'll talk about it off, off air. Okay. Because I, I don't think I know much about that. I have a very uh, interesting story. Also, Little congratulations to Rob Lagojevich for getting a, uh, his sentence commuted by Trump. Why are we congratulating him for that? Because he's out of prison. Ew. Dude, he was 100% the fall guy. He needed to go. I mean, that's fair. But still, he was definitely the fall guy. <sighs> there were, like, much bigger fish that should have gone down. I'm about to ask a really stupid question. He was a Democrat, right? Yes. <sighs> you know who else was a Democrat that should have gone down at that time? J.B. Pritzker. Oh, yeah. He was very heavily involved in all of that. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I listened to those <laughs> recordings. Good job, Illinois. <laughs> I know. I just think it's so funny because um, who's the other asshole? Mike Madigan? Like, no, I mean him too, but <laughs> who? Uh, who's the other one that went to prison? Ryan. Oh, you like, are you talking about the 80% of all Illinois governors yeah. that have ended up going to prison? But was just Ryan, pick a, name Ryan out was of a, a Republican, right? Uh, maybe. So it doesn't even matter what party you're from. <laughs> all of them. Um, I thought he was a Republican. Governor Ryan. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was a Republican. But yes, no, so Illinois' history is very rich. Uh, uh, <laughs> approximately 80% of our governors have all gone to prison. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't wait to see Pritzker go down for something. <laughs> I'm sure it will happen. I hope it happens. Um, all right, getting back to Richard. We need anarchy. <laughs> yes. 
So, um, you know, he beat up the super, then he beat up the cop, and then a few months go by without any incident, um, as far as we know, and things got even rockier between Richard and Linda. Leaving a bar one night, Richard ran into his brother Joseph, who had some less than uh, desirable news for Rich. He and <laughs> That was pretty close. He informed Richard that he saw Linda and some guy named Sammy James. That's a fun name, Sammy James. Do you, do you know the rule of two first names? No. Likely a serial killer. Oh. And if you have three first names, doomed from the start. <laughs> <laughs> so Sammy James and uh, Linda were getting a room at the Hudson Hotel. Mm-hmm. Richard flew off the handle. He demanded to know the exact room that his essentially estranged wife and Sammy were in. He sped to the hotel, found the room that the two were at, and in one go, kicked the door off the hinges. Richard grabbed Sammy and beat the hell out of him. He even pulled a knife on Linda and told her, If you weren't the mother of my sons, I'd kill you. But now, I'm just going to teach you a lesson you will never forget. Yeah, this is fucked up. Yeah, and this is where I was kind of like, I was hoping there was some... More information about yeah, it online. Something to cross-reference and verify. Right. Yeah, it just kind of... So, um, you know, he threatens her. He tells her, you know, he's going to teach her a lesson she'll never forget. Linda tries resisting the assault, but with, you know, a single slap, he knocks her unconscious. And then he proceeded to cut her nipples off. Uh, ow. Having... Actually, there, there's a picture I need to show you when we're done recording that directly relates to this. Oh, God. Um, I am genuinely concerned for this person's anatomy. Oh, is that that person who's, like, turning themselves into an alien? No. Okay. No. They drive me nuts. Uh, so having taught Linda the lesson, he left her there, bleeding, and stormed out of the room. After that, he had very little to do with Linda whatsoever. He would occasionally see the boys every now and again, but that was about it. Richard went on to take another job at the request of Philip Marable, one of the Genovese crime family captains. And notorious cigarette manufacturer. <sighs> bum bum. Dumb. <laughs> uh, I saw the look on your face trying to process that. It was so stupid. <laughs> you looked like you were in pain. Yeah, it was. Um, we really need to start like recording these episodes, <laughs> but then hiding like half of our faces. Yeah, <laughs> Philip was tasked. Uh, Philip tasked Richard uh, with taking care of a man named George West, <clears throat> who was holding up some of Marable's runners. Richard was paid up front and went out on the hunt for West. He staked out West's house, checked bars that he frequented, but kept barely missing him. Quick interjection. To highlight some of just how Richard was able to change his M.O. constantly, uh, there's this guy, Robert, a.k.a. Motorboat, who sold guns out of his trunk, and Richard was a regular customer. So I mean, the guy was smart. He knew he had to use different calibers of guns to severely reduce his risk of getting caught. And say what you will, but that's pretty fucking intelligent. Um, there's something in Carlo's book about <coughs> Richard uh, even shooting someone with two different guns to throw police off into thinking that there was more than one shooter. That is smart. I... Is it really that hard to get away with murder nowadays? I don't think so. Let's go field test this theory. Mm. I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. <laughs> well, murder somebody that no one cares about. 
or who's not going to be getting looked for, you need to do it in an area where you are 100% certain there is no CCTV. You should not have a Which cell phone Which is nowhere. Like, there, there's cameras everywhere. That's what I'm saying. Like, it would have to be somewhere super secluded. You couldn't have hey, your cell phone stay. on you. Especially not with location services turned on, like just leave it at the house or something. Oh yeah, no. Know. Even if certain, like all that's turned off, it's still tapping. And that's tracking. what I'm saying. Like it just shouldn't even be with you. Yeah. It should be at wherever you want to place your alibi location at. You know, and I was that paranoid when I was young and dumb and breaking into cars with my buddies. I was like leaving the phone at home because mm-hmm. <laughs> I know nobody's ever going to check it. But just in case. Mm-hmm. I know. Um, but yeah, so Richard is. A regular customer of Motorboat. Uh, and he even purchased hand grenades from the guy. I want to know why this guy's name is Motorboat, though. Uh, he had really big ears. Oh. I, that, that's all I got from that. I was hoping that he would uh, have some type of reputation with the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually really glad I was able to pull that off. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> I wasn't too sure going into it. <laughs> I had myself in the first half, yeah. but then I came through. Um, so Kuklinski was still tirelessly seeking out West. I definitely thought you were about to say Ku Klux Klan. Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> the KKK was still tirelessly you, you seeking put, out West. You put a lot of emphasis on that, you. <laughs> um, all right, yeah, because he's still trying to, like, you know, do the job that Marable paid him for. Yes, yes. This effort went on for about nine days with no results until, by complete happenstance, Richard was driving along after picking up some money for Carmine and spotted West in a diner eating a sandwich. Oh, that sounds good right now. Uh, (laughs) He pulled around and parked in a lot next to the diner, found West's car, and positioned himself so that he'd have a clear shot with the twenty-two Magnum rifle that he had gotten from Motorboat. As Wes left the diner, Richard got him in his scope and pulled the trigger numerous times. Anyway, (laughs) to make sure Wes was dead, Richard calmly got out of his car, walked up to the body, put two more slugs in Wes's head, went back to his car, and left. I appreciate how you said dead. Dead. (laughs) To make sure Wes was dead. Dead. (laughs) (laughs) Like, with every other boss in Richard's life, um, Maribel would go on to contract him for several more hits over the next year or so. Um, one mark was a man who owed Maribel 50 grand. Um, what are these people doing that they owe so much <coughs> fucking money? It all, it, I guarantee it's all gambling shit. Like, loan sharks and all that. Um, but, like, dude, that's a lot of, like, we, I said this already. That's a lot of fucking money for the time period. I know. Like, Jesus Christ. Um... Although, I mean, we're kind of going to talk about it in a future episode. Yeah. With some other dealings that Richard eventually gets into. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe she was just, like, super taxed back then, as in, like, overpriced. Mm, I don't think so. Uh, maybe. Well, I, I mean, like, stuff from, like, the mob and mafia and stuff. Oh, yeah. Because, like, we're... The, so, spoiler alert. We're going to talk about, like, Richard getting into, uh, like, porn bootlegging and all that. Yeah. And... I think someone, f- like, gave him, like, $30,000 of, like, porn to bootleg on consignment. Like, I, I don't know how you, va- like, what is one video, like, $5? Did he just know. get, like, 10,000 videos? <laughs> like, I, I don't know. But <clears throat> anyway, so 
the guy that owed Maribel 50 grand, Richard gave him uh, a flat, and as the guy was changing his tire, Kuklinski walked up behind him, hit him full force with a tire iron, and split the man's skull open, causing blood to splatter everywhere. Uh, this, after this job, Richard began carrying a change of clothes in the event blood got on him, because, I mean, hey, murdering people fucking left and right is a dirty business, and you gotta keep some fresh threads on you. From what I understand, Richard was kind of stylish. I think at one point he wore a full... He was funky. <laughs> he wore a suit that was just like, I don't want to say neon yellow, but just all yellow, head to toe. But yeah. I looked at yellow Converse the other day and was just, no. The, no. Mm, no. <laughs> I mean, I could see. I mean, guys can wear any color they want, but I well, just I feel mean, like, like yellow is just a weird color to work into a wardrobe. Yeah. No, I mean, I I, I could see like a girl in a in a sundress or something wearing yeah. yellow Converse. Not you. <laughs> but I. Yeah. So, stay staying stylish. Um, there was another contract uh, for a man from Edgewater. Uh, Richard really didn't know any details other than the fact that he personally didn't like the guy, uh, nor did he particularly care to know any details. Uh, so he found the market of Marina having sex with a young woman who was clearly not his wife. And rather than barge in, a true gentleman, <laughs> Richard decided to wait. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> There's nothing funny about mass murder. <laughs> Um, I, I think my brain cells really are starting to freeze. <laughs> We're having catastrophic system failures. So anyways, Richard waits. Guy bangs it out, slanging and banging. With slanging and banging. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. I actually, I used it in a Facebook post. No. Um, my, my identical twin from Washington, a friend of his, or no, I'm sorry, a friend of mine from the UK put up something. And I responded, like, I don't do that, but I definitely slang and bang. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's around 2 a.m. Richard uh, thought the woman was going to end up sleeping there. But lo and behold, she left about 30 minutes later. Uh, so Richard got out of the car with a suppressed 38 in hand. I mean, the, he was done with her. He has no use for her now. I'm just saying she was disappointing. He was never... Whatever. I'm tired. <laughs> did, did you drink green tea? It's supposed to have caffeine in it. I know. It does. Oh, chug it. Chug, 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 chug. Relive your college days. <laughs> um, well, I mean... No, because Richard originally got there around 11. So it's like a solid three hours of banging it out. Oh, banging and slanging. Slanging and banging. <laughs> so anyway, she leaves. Richard gets out. Suppressed 38 in hand. Um, moved on to the boat and uh, got into the cabin. Um, as is to be expected, the Mark began begging and pleading, telling Richard that he had a family, offered to pay him up, but again, these begs and pleas would fall on deaf ears because Richard was a man of character, integrity, and determination. If he was tasked with a job, nothing was going to sway him to stray from the contract. Um <clears throat> And an eerie phrase that Richard is quoted saying is, my friend, when you see me, it's the end of the line. 
I'm the Grim Reaper, my friend. I don't like that he says my friend. Uh, something about that phrase just makes me... I do. It's, it's super condescending. It's great. Okay. That's fair. It's I have just been, insulting. I have been swayed. I'm going to stick with sir. <laughs> you have two kids, sir. <laughs> Get your shit together. <laughs> Red flags everywhere. Um, but anyway, so deciding to kill the man quickly, Richard shot him in the forehead right between the eyes. And after the blood stopped rushing, Richard dumped the body overboard, knowing that the crabs and fish would dispose of the body. Why did they specifically single out crabs? I don't know. Why wouldn't they just say, like, the fish? The the sea creatures? The crabs and the fish. <laughs> I don't, know. I don't even funny. think crabs eat flesh. They're, they're bottom feeders, aren't they? They'll eat anything, really, that comes across their way. Ew. They'll pick it apart. Gross. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we're entering the year of our Lord, 1959. Praise Jesus. That's when my mother was born. Uh, Kuklinski is 24, has a serious drinking problem, and often gets into fights, which inevitably turn into an impulse murder. One such instance was at the Pelican Lounge in Union City. He had an altercation with another patron who immediately decked Richard. The nice. Bar- yeah. Nice. <laughs> The bartender uh, ended up intervening almost instantly, (laughs) telling the men to take it outside. They happily obliged, and within seconds of making it to the sidewalk, Richard pulled a hunting knife, spun around, and stabbed it deep into the man's throat, upward, entering his brain cavity. Uh, Needless to say, the man died instantly right there on the sidewalk, and Richard simply walked off. So, from what it sounds like, was anybody ever around anywhere? Like, I know it's the late 50s and all, but come on, people. Like, killing all of these folks with zero witness testimony? That's why I'm saying some of these murders just sound like... This would have... I'm pretty sure the only reason we even have that down on record is because he said he did it. Yeah. I, like, it is something we're going to touch on in the, in the follow-up episode. Because another spoiler alert... I have a feeling there's some things in Carlo's book that have been a little bit glamorized. Mm-hmm. But it was, I mean, from looking at the two, Anthony Bruno's and Carlo's, Carlo's is significantly thicker. Well, and some of it may not even uh, have been intentional glamorization because I think that Kuklinski himself was also an exaggerator. Yeah, yeah. So um, they're only working with what they're given. Right. And yeah, like skimming through Bruno's book before we started to record, like I, I definitely feel like Carlo covers like a much wider range of detail. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard ended up going back to the Pelican Lounge after the murder to actually murder someone else, the <laughs> <Yay>. bouncer. <laughs> One is not enough. It was so good he had to go back for another. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I'm wondering if the bouncer was also a bartender because I can't see why he targeted a bouncer who didn't slight him in any way. Uh, Richard remarked, Hey, big guy, remember me? And the bouncer snarled, What the fuck do you want? And Richard hit him in the side of the head with a hammer. With such force, actually, that the hammer got lodged in the man's skull. Richard pulled it out and struck him repeatedly until he was pulverized and unrecognizable. Okay, so real quick, I know that that was written specifically that way to kind of leave an impact of just how hard Richard swung. I'm going to go ahead and say I don't think it's that difficult to lodge a hammer in someone's head. 
I'm going to say maybe... Have you tried? 15 pounds of force. What, what, are you, what point are you trying to prove? Like, because it, cause it, like, uh, Carlo wrote that he hit the guy with such force. Like, I don't think it takes that much force to lodge a hammer in someone's Oh. Um. Glamorizing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I think it goes without saying that Richard wasn't very happy with his current life. He was always broke, uh, drinking constantly, you know, pretty much angry 24-7. The only time he says that he was ever at peace was after he killed someone. And while he recognized that his gambling and drinking habits were problematic, there was little he felt he could do about it. Everyone he hung around, you know, they were involved in the same vices. Everyone drank, everyone gambled, everyone smoked, everyone lied and cheated and stole. He didn't trust anyone, and he would, you know, kill at the drop of a dime because it broke down to one simple thing. Kill or be killed. So, <clears throat> I'm going to go out on a limb just off of this statement. While he recognized that his gambling and drinking habits were problematic, there was little he felt he could do. I think he should go to the 12-step program. Because <laughs> I actually went to an AA meeting, and while it's not for me, it was interesting. Yeah, I, I couldn't, um, I couldn't I, do I just, it. I, just, I, I rarely drink. So why I ended up at an AA meeting is beyond me. Oh, I went for friends. I mean, like, it, it was a, fr- like a friend of mine talked to me into go. I was trying to go to NA, but they're like, oh, I only host AA meetings. And I was like, son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, but anyways, <clears throat> to continue painting a picture of the type of man that he was, Richard heard disturbing rumors about his brother Joseph, which he took upon himself to investigate. One thing we touched on in the previous episode uh, was Richard's view on drugs, which really he only viewed as a one-way trip to nowhere. Uh, there was another tidbit of information too, but we're gonna, I'm going to get into that in a minute. So Richard ventured to a bar called Another Way in Gutenberg, New Jersey, to see for himself if these rumors about Joseph were true. So the place was crowded. He still managed to see Joseph, and lo and behold, Joseph was making out with a woman. Um... But, plot twist, M. Night Shyamalan wasn't actually a woman. It was a man dressed as a woman. (laughs) (laughs) So, Richard's brother is gay, possibly bisexual. And it kind of gave him an unsettling feeling, because, like, he couldn't believe it. He'd seen his brother with plenty of women. But, sure as the sun does shine, there was Joseph making out with a cross-dresser, and Richard was livid. So, he ordered a beer and actually refused to drink from a glass because he didn't want to drink from a glass at a gay bar. Wow. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say that's a pretty high level of homophobia. Yeah. Like, genuine homophobia. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is important to remember that it's the late 50s, maybe super early 60s, and there was a massive amount of stigma surrounding homosexuality. Um, we have evolved as a society. So... Richard hung around for a bit watching his brother, um, and then before he knew it, when he looked up, uh, Richard, or I'm sorry, Joseph was gone. Uh, So Richard searched around the bar before finally ending up in the bathroom, where in a stall, he saw two sets of legs and heard Joseph's voice. So what did Richard do? Well, he did what he always does. Kicked the door of the stall right off the fucking hinges and found it. He found his brother sucking the other guy's dick. So, 
Joseph was obviously fucking startled. Immediately jumped up before he could say anything. Richard knocked him to the floor and then beat the shit out of the other guy, knocking him out. And he did want to hurt the two more, but he ended up composing himself and left. Uh, went back to Hoboken, hit up a bar, and got drunk. Because what do you do when you're an alcoholic? You drink your problems away. And uh, he and his brother would go several years without speaking. To express his rage, uh, Richard continued making trips to Manhattan's west side to kill people. He was still evading police suspicion because he always used different guns, weapons, and M.O. Uh, Richard was quickly spiraling out of control. Carmine Genovese had actually been murdered. And no matter how much Richard hoped for anything that would net him some profit, business was slow. And this is where we find Richard in the events leading up to him meeting his second wife, Barbara Pedrisi. Uh, yeah, I said Pedrisi. Uh, one of his friends, Tony Pro, who ran the local 560 of the Teamsters Union, helped Richard get a job at Swiftline Trucking in North Bergen. Uh, the money was pretty good, the work was difficult, and he didn't enjoy it. It was, you know, a normal straight gig, and he despised it. He'd always keep an eye out for an easy score, anything valuable that he could pilfer and make a profit from. It's now the spring of 1961. Richard has a steady job. Birds are chirping. All is near right in the world. And this is where Richard meets Barbara <laughs> while working at Swiftline. Suddenly everything <coughs> changed, and Richard's paradigm became vastly different. So, <clears throat> we finally meet her, the woman that would stay with Richard until his t very timely overdue demise. So Barbara Pedrisi was uh, quite the looker. She was tall, a bit curvaceous, but overall slender. She had black hair with hazel eyes and stood at 5'10". It's a little, I think that's a little above average for a woman's height, but it was okay because Kuklinski stood at a towering 6'4", 6'5", 6'12", however the fuck tall he was. Um, Barbara came from an Italian family. Uh, her father immigrated from Venice, and her mother's family was from Naples. And she was contemplating going to college for an art degree, but her mother thought that it was a waste of time. She was right. Yeah. <laughs> good, good for, good for uh, fuck, what's the mom's name? I think Genevieve. Um, or was it? No, the grandma's name was Carmel. Something. There are too many fucking names in this whole spiel. Um, but yeah, going to the STEM fields, people. Um, <laughs> uh Apparently, her mother disliked Barbara's idea so much that she even offered to buy her a car if Barbara didn't go to college. <laughs> but Barbara still refused the offer. And, like, even though it is an art degree, like, I'm going to say good for her. Like, I kind of support that decision. You know, she stuck to her, stuck to her, whatever. I can't think of the fucking idiom right now. Um, her mother uh, appeared to be a little bit austere as well, uh, a bit of a stick in the mud, if you will. Um, but a little bit more background on Barbara before moving on to her encounters with a walking devil himself. Uh, she was an only child. Obviously, she didn't get along well with her mother. Her parents ended up getting divorced when she was two, uh, and she ended up going to live with her grandmother and her aunt, and their names are Carmela and Sadie, respectively. Um, she was generally given whatever she wanted and ended up Becoming a bit of a spoiled child. One of those, if I don't stop asking slash pestering, then eventually I'll get it mentalities. Which I fucking hate so much. <laughs> um, 
She was kind of popular. She was outgoing, loved music, shopping, and going to see movies with her girlfriends. And she lived a moderately to, I'm going to go out on a limb and say severely sheltered life. Uh, She knew virtually nothing about the horrors of the world, much less men like Kalinske. And she was actually a pretty quick study with a high IQ and proficiency with mastering and perfecting any necessary skills for her career positions. Good for her. She's, she's adaptable on the on the job site. What a lovely synopsis. Woo! Um, we for a real dumb woman. Yeah. <laughs> We'd previously high IQ my ass. I know all the stuff they say about her, and I'm just sitting here like, eh, actions in later life don't. But don't forget, she did talk back. She did. But don't forget, Richard beat his wife. God. <laughs> um. So we previously mentioned that Barbara met Richard while working at the Swiftline Trucking Company. And the funny story behind that is that Barbara hadn't actually ever applied for a position at the company. She instead um, was accompanying her friend Lucille because Lucille had responded to an ad for a secretary position there. While sitting in the lobby, the company owner, Saul Goldfarb, happened Such to... a weird name. <laughs> I'm assuming it was Solomon. Well, no, a gold farm. Like, oh, what yeah. the fuck? Yeah, so he happened upon Barbara, saying that she looked just like his daughter. He then invited her back to his office and offered her an accounting position on the spot, which she accepted. Um, Barbara was enjoying making her own money and all of the independence that came with being an adult and having a steady job. Barbara was grabbing something from the company soda machine one day, and it was here that she first met Richard. It was a simple exchange in passing, Then they ran into each other a second time at the loading docks and, yeah, had some small talk about the weather. Saul, Swiftline's owner, saw them and he immediately pulled Barbara away, warning her, like, you know, look, I know you're a nice girl. Don't have anything to do with that guy. He's a lug. He's married with kids. She responded by saying that they were simply talking about the weather and reassured him that it was nothing more than that. Goldfarb even called Richard into his office to reprimand him, saying, I don't want you associating with the help. Which, you know, kind of pissed Richard off, true to form. Uh, First off, Barbara wasn't even his type, and he went on to tell Sol that people are allowed to talk to whoever they please. Goldfarb responded with a threat of termination if he saw Kuklinski associating with Barbara again. The exchange between the two men got really heated, and Goldfarb fired Richard on the spot, saying that he can come collect his final paycheck later that day. Returning around four, he ran into Barbara again and told her of his termination. You know, incessantly apologizing, she felt terrible, and she offered to go talk to Goldfarb to get Richard his job back, but he insisted that it was okay. This is where things for Barbara would end up taking a dangerous, potentially deadly turn as she offered to buy Richard coffee after work, having inadvertently been the reason for his loss of livelihood. Richard agreed, and he met Barbara at 5 o'clock outside Swiftline. Remember, Barbara wasn't necessarily Richard's type, and Richard surely wasn't her type. He was too old for her. But the coffee had gone well, and Richard asked her out to a movie, to which Barbara agreed. And let's not forget... (coughs) Richard beat his wife. But she talked back. But she talked back. But don't forget, (laughs) Richard beat his wife. God. Also, I have a little comment on the whole um, Goldfarb telling Richard, I don't want you associating with the help. I feel like that's a little bit insulting. 
working a position in accounting is a pretty esteemed spot, and you're calling her the help. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows how he actually meant it, though? It was a different time back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I almost made a comment. Don't. <laughs> don't do it. Hold on. Let me. I'm just gonna make a time mark. All right, seventy-one. Oh fuck! I forgot it. All right, we're good. We're we're clear. Um. So yeah, Richard and Barbara uh, went out to a movie uh, the Saturday following their coffee date. Um, and he'd gotten the opportunity to meet her mother and grandmother. Um, and by this time, her aunt had moved out of the house and down the street with her new husband. And though they thought he was nice enough, you know, tall and handsome, uh, he was still a little bit too old for her. And he wasn't Italian. Are Italians just secretly racist? They're just clicky. Okay, that's fair. Cause, yeah, a lot like of people they, are like that, though. They, they don't let anybody that's not Italian into the... Into the family. I mean, hell, even... Actually, never mind. So, Barbara was still apologetic uh, about Richard losing his job. But he still reassured her to you know, not worry about it. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure he was pulling schemes on the side to bring in some cash. And uh, the date also went quite well. Um, and it was at this point that Kuklinski was kind of taken by Barbara and thought she was a perfect lady. Starting to get the hard eyes for her. Um, you know, but, I mean, she, she kind of was. She was classy. She was well-spoken. She was polite. Uh, had a pretty good sense of humor, from my understanding. Uh, but, little did he know, Barbara still didn't really have any designs on Richard. Though he was attractive, had a wonderful smile, and beautiful eyes, he was still too old. And don't forget, he beat his wife. <laughs> And he was also married and had a couple kids. Um, but he did try to explain that his marriage was falling apart and that he hardly saw them, which, you know, she had no reason not to believe, but I feel like that would kind of be a little bit of a red flag. Yeah, like, I mean, and she's just kind of courting this whole thing. She knew first off he was married and had children, so I really don't believe that she didn't... Um, oh, my God, are you victim-blaming right now? No, but I just oh, don't damn. believe... No, I just don't believe that she didn't have any type of feelings or attraction for him. Because why would someone who's apparently as young as she was not find a dude attractive, know he's married and with children? This is like the early 60s where people are still pretty conservative about the dating scene. Why would she be going out with him? Not only that, but then inviting him over so he could meet her family. Well, I mean, I th I think it could be the whole, like, different... Uh, like different time, different era argument, because it's it's the whole. When did like the the women's rights movements like really start to blossom? Sixties. So yeah, like this, I'm pretty sure this was like the er like very early sixties. Mm -hmm. So it it could have just been the whole like, women felt obligated to, you know, uh, accept a man's proposal. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> We're calling this episode the derailment episode. <laughs> um, but anyways, like, that's, it, it's the downside of living a sheltered life, because gullibility is a son of a bitch. Naivete. That too. <laughs> Naivety. Nativity. Nativity. <laughs> nativity scene? The, the nativity scene. <laughs> 
So Richard was becoming more and more enamored and couldn't stop thinking about her. He'd only ever known bar women, uh, those who were whores and tramps. Um, again, I gave y'all a warning at the beginning of the episode. Um, so yeah, they're like this was the mentality that he had uh, ingrained in his mind over the years. Barbara was different though, and like, damn, did Richard want her? He'd move mountains to have her, but he didn't exactly know how he'd get her. So the morning after their movie date, Richard ended up showing up at her house, which kind of shocked her a little bit. Uh, he showed up with flowers and a gift, and although she was surprised, she politely accepted them. Um, yeah, I'm I'm gonna kind of lean on the whole like feeling obligated to accept someone's I don't know don't forget she talked back to it <laughs> um so anyway she invited him in for coffee um Genevieve that's right yeah her mother's name is Genevieve uh Genevieve didn't like that one bit she had a bad feeling about this guy from Jersey City having the hots for her only child her virgin daughter um Ew. and yeah virginity was a real big thing back then um, sorry, I just, I, my mind just, like, had to restart for a second. <laughs> um, and she was convinced that he only wanted Barbara for sex, but that, I mean, it might have kind of sort of been the case, but not really. Uh, he, he just wanted to possess Barbara. To, he wanted her to be his entirely. And these visits would continue into the work week, day after day, week after week. Uh, to the point that it made Barbara a little bit uneasy, but she had no point of reference to compare it to and thought it was nice that someone was so attentive. Yeah, and Barbara's aunt Sadie wanted to know more about Richard, and she had begun to grow somewhat suspicious, you know, that whenever she inquired about his past, he would change the subject. To her, Barbara was more a daughter than a niece, so eventually Sadie's curiosity got the better of her, and she employed her brother Armand was a part-time cop from Cliffside Park to help her figure out more about Richard. Um, she also hired a private investigator that didn't take long in learning that Richard was a player, intimidator, hijacker, brawler, had a hairpin trigger temper, gambling and drinking problems, and was also associated with organized crime. That's just a whole myriad of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> there were also rumors of Richard's various murders, you know, but he had no official police record. Um, although he did have quite the reputation as a malicious individual who always carried a gun and knife. This information was relayed to Sadie, who promptly asked Armand to speak with Richard to end his relationship with Barbara, which Armand did. He found Richard in a bar in Jersey City and explained that he was to stop seeing Barbara immediately. Richard took that as a threat and, in response, threatened Armand. The men had a stare down, and though Armand had a gun on him, Richard still wanted to kill him, but he wouldn't because it was Barbara's uncle, and Richard swore his intentions with Barbara were strictly honorable and that he was working on divorcing his current wife. Armand believed Richard based on the resolve in his look, you know, that his intentions were honorable. So, uh, hold on. <clears throat> How the fuck do you get a debriefing from a private investigator who, like, about someone being potentially a homicidal maniac? Like, how do you brush that off based on a fucking look in the in the dude's eye? Are you <laughs> kidding know. me? Are you fuck? Plus, plus, didn't he just threaten a cop? Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Well, he was only part-time. 
but still, it's a cop. <laughs> it, like, a civilian just threatened you, and you're like, you know what? He's a good dude. I can see the resolve in his eyes. He'll kill me in an instant, but, but he definitely loves my niece. Like, what the fuck, Barbara. dude? Like, I'm more than happy to admit I give people the benefit of the doubt, but come on. Can nobody see, like, I can know. nobody see this is a fucking facade? Yeah, and I mean, everything that we're saying is just, like, uh, not a great testament to Barbara's supposed high IQ um, because... You know, Sadie also had a chat with Barbara about Richard, but Barbara refused to see the reality that Richard was a dangerous man. And instead, she made excuses as to why Richard wasn't what Sadie was saying he was. And also, I I need to, there's a <clears throat> sound clip on my phone I need to show you after uh, after we're done recording. Okay. In, in direct relation to Barbara's supposed high IQ. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so Barbara ended up having Richard over that Christmas, uh, in an effort to show the family how polite and sweet he really was. Um, her mother obviously wasn't happy with the, uh, this decision, but they hosted him nonetheless. So Richard was actually caught off guard a little bit. And truth be told, he was a little bit anxious about it because he'd never done something like that before. So it's Christmas Eve, 1961. Richard joins Barbara's family for Christmas Eve, and things generally go off without a hitch. Uh, he met several of her family members, enjoyed a buffet of delicious Italian dishes, and he'd never experienced such open affection, and he absolutely loved it. Like, he fucking couldn't get enough of it. Um, he even received a gift from Sadie and was left speechless, not knowing that there were more gifts waiting for him. Um, he actually started to tear up. Look at that. The Iceman is starting to melt. It's kind of sad, actually. It really... So, it is. It really fucking is. And I relate to this because my friend Elvira that... Goddamn, I can feel myself starting to tear up. My friend Elvira that moved to Colorado um, gave me her longboard Mm -hmm. because she knew I'd wanted a longboard forever. And I took it back to my car, and as I was putting it in the trunk, I just lost it. Oh, don't abuse your children. That's the takeaway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, at, like, R- Richard couldn't believe it. He'd even asked Barbara, is it always like this? Like, everyone's so nice and warm and giving? And Barbara simply responded, like, of course. It's Christmas time. It's always like this, Richard. He returned the next morning with gifts for everyone, uh, having spent all morning shopping to ensure that he'd gotten something for someone. Didn't want anybody to feel left out. <clears throat> and again, I'm not exactly sure where he was getting the money to survive, much less purchase all of these gifts, because I couldn't find any mention of him doing any like side work for crime families during the time. But I'm assuming he was likely hustling people or doing small like smash and grabs or something to make some quick cash. Oh, um, I liked uh, snatch and stabs. So- <laughs> oh, that's fucking clever. Oh, man. <laughs> Snatch and steps. You know, just some slanging and banging. <laughs> All right, listen up, guys. We're going to do some snatch and stabs, and then we're going to go slanging and banging. <laughs> <laughs> oh but I, I, uh, did we mention it in the first episode that he was a hustler at pool? He could yeah. very well have been making money doing that. Possibly. Um, so it's Christmas, Richard came back with a bunch of gifts, everyone sat down to uh, eat once again, 
And this time it was a meal that was even larger than the previous nights. And Richard was fucking elated. Um, you know, he's, he was involved in a loving family's activities. I can only imagine how happy that would have made him. <clears throat> so the holidays came and went. Two started seeing each other more and more. And eventually paradise would come to an end. Barbara was feeling a little bit boxed in because Richard was just always there. He'd cut her off from her friends, definitely cut her off from dating other people, and she generally felt trapped. Um, I'm thinking that something, like some of his true nature, was maybe beginning to show, but she was still kind of fond of him at this point, and love does make us blind to many things. I very recently took off my rose-colored glasses, and I'm happy I did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So in her head, Barbara contemplated the best way to tell Richard that she needed some space, Um, but the couple continued to go on various dates, and he even took her to the ringside inn in uh, Hoboken. Yeah, so the couple continued to go on various dates, and he even took her to the ringside inn in Hoboken. Never heard of it. Uh, I'd, I'd still. I need to go find the say hi in in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. Say hi. Oh, hello. Barbara finally worked up the nerve to make an attempt at breaking things off with Richard. Uh-oh. And the reason I say make an attempt is because, well, we know how Richard is, and it certainly did not go uh, the least bit well. <laughs> As she was explaining to him that she felt trapped, you know, didn't want such a serious commitment. And possibly even wanted to date other guys. Oh, dear God, no. Yep. He was slowly pulling out a hunting knife that he kept at his calf. While she was being sincere and considerate, even warm, he was positioning his hand behind her before finally jabbing her behind her left shoulder with the tip of the blade. Richard, no! That is such a creepy, weird thing to do. Right. I'm trying to... So, as I'm, like, reading this and, like, processing and orchestrating the outline... I'm sitting in my bed trying to figure out. I understand he's got a much bigger wingspan than I. Mm-hmm. How close were they that she didn't see him like move his arm down his leg, grab a knife, slide it into another hand, and then just like get I behind her and fucking. Who like, knows? Dum dum. Understandably filled with shock, she saw the knife in his hand and said, You stabbed me. Why? You stabbed me, sir. Why? Good day, sir. Yeah. Good day to you. Uh, Richard simply responded as a warning. You're mine. Understand? You aren't seeing anyone else. You do what I tell you. And if I can't have you, no one can. Got it? Barbara, here we go. Snap back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. Yeah, but she's, she's about to talk back, guys. Barbara snapped right back, talking back, berating Richard, asking him who the hell he thinks he is, and that she was going to tell her family. But don't forget, Richard beats his wife. (laughs) (laughs) Richard's immediate response in a cold, inhuman voice that she'd never heard from him was that he'll just kill her entire family. I'll kill your entire family. I can't do that. I know. (laughs) This made her even angrier, and she began berating him even more until he grabbed her by the neck and choked her until she was unconscious. And when she finally woke up, he was driving her home as if nothing had happened. Where's that high IQ now? Jesus. Where is it? Where is it? Uh, Maybe I am being victim-blaming. Maybe a little bit. 
I apologize. Well, well maybe I'll, not. Maybe well, you I'll, know, um, we're going to split the difference and call it victim shaming. Well, anyway, I apologize to all past and potential victims out there of any kind. I Hopefully, the they hear cruel. this podcast. The world is very cruel. I'm getting it is. Tired. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they're driving back to Barbara's house. And Richard made some more threats before she got out of his car, to which she simply responded that she understood what would happen to her and her family. Um, he was furious. He rattled his mind trying to figure out, you know, how he could fix things, how he could win her back. And per the usual, the next day when Barbara left for work, he was there waiting for her with flowers and a teddy bear in hand. Isn't this like abusive relationship 101? Yes. Classic abuser behavior. He should have started a cult. <laughs> Love bombing. That's what he's doing. Uh-huh. <laughs> he expressed a, a facade of apologies, explaining that he'd never felt like that toward... A, geez, yeah, this is 100% abuser behavior. Uh-huh. Manipulative. <clears throat> you know, he'd never felt like that towards anyone before, and that, he, you know, he couldn't handle losing her. Um, she did reiterate, though, that he was a married man with children, even though he'd sworn he was getting a divorce. And over the preceding weeks and months, things were constantly up and down between the two. You know, he was nice enough, but she began seeing his violent side more and more. And she'd even gone to the police on one occasion, but they explained that he'd quickly be out and she feared that he would come to kill her, eventually causing her mindset to become, it's better that he hurts me than anyone in my family. She couldn't tell anyone of Richard's, uh, like, true nature, or he'd most certainly annihilate them all. To him... Murder was always the answer. It was the only answer. And lo and behold, Barbara eventually got pregnant and worried that this was exactly what Richard wanted, a pregnancy to entangle her deeper into the relationship. He was glad that she'd gotten pregnant, <coughs> um, and he spoke of marrying her, but, you know, Barbara had other plans. She had no desire to have his child, much less marry him, and finally worked up the courage to go to her mother, who was obviously angry with the news. Um, she also went to her grandmother, who was much more understanding, uh, even though Richard had kind of grown on her a little bit. And ultimately, Barbara decided that she'd have the baby, but wanted nothing more to do with him. Together with her mother and grandmother, it was decided that Barbara would leave town without telling Richard and go to live with her father in Miami, because her father, at least to her, was the only person that would understand and was the only one that she felt could or would protect her. And this was a long-ass episode, so we're going to cut it off there. Uh, unless there's anything else you have to add, I think that about wraps up this week's episode on Mr. Kuklinski. I think I am full out of victim <coughs> blaming and shaming today. <laughs> okay. So, Richard's moving up in the world. He's success. Um, shit. I need to cut that part. Moving on up to the east side. To the murder side. <laughs> to the homicide. To a deluxe apartment <laughs> in the sky. Ooh. We definitely need to get a fucking camera in here. <laughs> that was fantastic. <sighs> but anyways. Um, Did you know beans don't burn on the grill? No, but I did know you can launch them like a 
fucking rocket from a, mm. a thick pipe. <laughs> Wait, what? Took a whole lot of trying just to get up the hill. All right. I, I don't know what that is. You don't know that song? I probably do, but I'm not. It's the Jeffersons. Oh. I'm, I'm really disappointed I, in you right now. I'm turning into my own version of the X-Men. <sighs> So anyways, that wraps up this week's episode. Um, I am pleased to announce that we do have an Instagram. Uh, the handle is at CYSpodcast. Um, but since we both work tirelessly at our day jobs and we can only handle staring at screens for so fucking long, mm-hmm. um, and I'm still in school, the content on Instagram is limited, but we do promise to post somewhat consistently as time goes on. Uh, We're also releasing another social media page that everyone can follow to keep up with the show and my crazy shenanigans. Um, It's a Facebook page. Um, It actually already exists, but it's kind of under construction. There's, I think I updated the profile picture a couple of times. Um, But yeah, that about does it. If anybody has any questions, comments, or corrections that you'd like to offer, please feel free to reach out at cispod, C-Y-S-P-O-D, at gmail.com and I will be sure to respond in a sassy manner. Um, I think that's about wraps it up. It wasn't too bad. An hour and a half. Mm-mm. Felt like it would go a lot longer. So, alright y'all. We'll be back next time with part three of Richard Kuklinski, The Iceman. Bye! Bye! <laughs> <laughs>